For her entire life growing up in Sarnia, Ontario, Marlo Taylor thought she was going to be a lawyer, right through to a degree from Queen's University in Kingston, before discovering that the legal business wasn't for her. Um, so then went on a bit of a quest over time to figure out where I should be. And the moment I found PR, I knew it was like putting on a favorite sweater. I've never looked back and 20 years later. It's a phenomenal career, um, and I obviously still work in it, having made my way through a number of the firms here in Toronto, um, and now to owning my own company. On this episode of Run It Like a Girl, the owner of Gage Communications talks about how being authentic is key in the business world. And I and I teach PR, and that's one of the fundamental things that I always say to my kids, right? Because they're so interested in how do you do media relations, and how do you put together communications plans, and what do you do if, and what do you do if? And I always say, like, the, the touchstone is how would you treat a person in any other situation, right? You, you introduce yourself and you share some information and you do what you say you're going to do and you ask them about them. And like, so it's not complicated. It's just being a decent person. It goes a long way. And we also ask Marlo the age-old question of work-life balance when you own a PR business. Yeah, I think I was reminded actually not long ago about... Um, the motto for the Special Olympics, right? Where like, if I can't win, can I be brave in the attempt? And I always think about that with work-life balance, right? Like the very least I am, I am constantly on the quest to, to try. Um, And it's not perfect. It'll never be perfect. But I think when you take the expectation of perfect away, suddenly things settle a little bit more. The owner of Gage Communications, Marlo Taylor, on this episode of Run It Like a Girl. We're really excited today to be in Toronto, and I'm so thrilled to be talking with uh, Marlo Taylor today, uh, owner of Gage Communications. Marlo, thank you so much for welcoming us into your home today. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you so much for coming. Well, I think maybe we'll just get started. Tell us a little bit about your background, where you, where you kind of came from and coming up, and, and we'll see where it goes. Um, so I grew up in Sarnia, about three hours from here, and uh, when I left Sarnia to go to school, I went to Kingston, I went to Queens and studied politics, and my whole life thought I would be a lawyer, and then I finally got through my degree and got to the moment of having to apply and thought, I'm, it's not, it's not going to be for me, um, so then went on a bit of a quest over time to figure out where I should be, um, loved art. So I studied graphic design, um, worked as a graphic designer for a while, um, really enjoyed it, but still just didn't feel it was 100% the right fit. And someone had suggested to me uh, public relations is a nice uh, graphic design, is a nice jumping off point for, for PR. And so I went in and uh, studied public relations. And the moment I found PR, I knew it was like putting on a favorite sweater. I've never looked back. And 20 years later, it's a phenomenal career. Um, and I obviously still work in it, having made my way through a number of the firms here in Toronto um, and now to owning my own company. So what what uh, what made you decide to kind of leave the, the firm path and be and go out on your own? I had worked for a long time in Canadian PR firms and learned a tremendous amount from a lot of really brilliant people. And over the course of that time, I also learned what I 
thought was great communications. I learned a lot about what I would hope to do differently if I were ever in a position to own my own company. And it, the moment just came where it was time to see if that theory played out in practice. I really, um, in early in my career, if you had asked me, would I ever own my own business? If you'd asked anybody, I don't know that there'd be anybody who would ever have imagined this would be my career path. And yet, um, when it happened, it just, all of those pieces fell into place. I felt confident enough to do it. I felt I had taken really great learnings from the places that I had been, and there was still just something else I wanted to try. So the moment was, the moment was right. Timing was right, and it was, it was the right decision that you Absolutely. made. So as a PR professional, what does that look like? Like, what is, what kind of work do you do for your clients? Uh, what does a day in the life of a PR professional look like? So I spend a lot of time listening to um, what it is clients want to talk about. So much like you ask a lot of questions about where they want to head with either their businesses or their products or whatever it might be and figuring out um, what the the challenge they have is and how to convey that um, to their target audience, right? So... um, very tactically, it might be press releases or it might be um, writing, you know, um, helping them write leadership pieces or um, helping them, you know, maybe doing media training, helping them be more comfortable in front of a camera or in front of, in front of a microphone. I think that at the end of the day, my job is to help people find their words, right? Like, um because not everybody, not everybody finds it easy to take an idea or an abstract thought or whatever that might be and turn it into something that people can follow along, right? Um, and so, one, I help them distill what it is they're doing into words that people can understand and probably more importantly, that resonate with them. So you want to, you know... I always share with clients and with my students that if you think about a spectrum from awareness to attitude to action, you want to know where your audience is and where you want to move them to. They need to know about you before they can feel good about you. They need to feel good about you before they can do what you're asking them to do. So when you know where your audience is and where you want them to go, that's where the strategy part lives. And that's essentially what I do. That is to try to figure out how to move that audience along that spectrum on behalf of clients. Um, A career in public relations comes with a tremendous amount of responsibility. And I don't necessarily know that people appreciate that right out of the gate, but I try to um, instill that in my students. And one of the examples I use is, you know, when the um, soldier was shot at the, um, the Ottawa Memorial. If you looked at the coverage coming out of the U S versus um, Peter Mansbridge in particular did an amazing job that day of this is what we know, right? This is what, this is what we know now. These are the facts. This is, and that when you're dealing with audiences who are making decisions based on the information you help put out there, you want to be sure you are getting it right and you are not sensationalizing it and you are not fear mongering and you are, you are telling the truth, even when the truth hurts because people are deciding how do I invest my money? What kind of markets do I, you know, where do I buy a house? 
what schools are the best? What treatment should my, you know, my loved one use for, you know, they've just been diagnosed with something and they're doing the research. When we get that information wrong, people, we take the ability for people to make great decisions out of their hands. And so, um, you know, it's easy to think about PR as, you know, lots of people say, I want to go into PR because I'm good with people and I love parties. I don't remember the last time I, you know, was glad handing out a party, but I do sit and read clinical trial data and try to figure out how to represent that in a way that um, somebody can can understand and, and is useful to their day-to-day life. And so it's, uh, to my mind, that's the part about PR that often gets missed. Because you're going to impact lives, whether that's for the positive or the negative. So you want to make sure it's coming out on the positive side. Totally, right? And... Um, there's a, there's a great Ted talk that focuses on the concept of duty of care. And it's just how far down the line does responsibility live? And to my mind, it, it lives with us. And, you know, we talk to clients and we need to challenge, you know, often clients are, you know, doing great things and it's awesome to be part of that team, but we have to ask good questions and we have to be sure we've got all the information that people need. And then we translate it into a discussion with the, the media. Again, you want to be credible and you want to be honest. And you want to be all those wonderful things um, because people are consuming that information and relying on it for lots of important things. And so um, I just think that the difference between a capable PR person but a, and a really great PR person is somebody who takes that to heart. So do you find that uh, relationships must be very key in your business? Um, and uh, in the ones that you developed while you were at the firm, is that kind of how, how you've continued on, like reaching out within your network? Like how did, you, how did you start it up? How did you get that first client? You know, the public relations industry in Toronto is a very small world. And all of the people who work in it will tell you the exact same thing. Um, and so over the course of the time that I've, worked in PR, you do encounter a lot of those people and the way you treat somebody and the way that you um, conduct yourself and the integrity that you bring to your business or how you conduct business comes back, right? That's the whole karma thing, right? People remember how you treated them. And so 20 years later, when I was out on my own, I have been surprised by who, you know, who has called and, um, because those relationships have been good and positive along the way. And you're not doing it because you hope that something, they're going to do something for you down the road. You're doing it because it's the right way to conduct business. But those relationships are key. And whether you're out on your own or working for a firm, um, I don't know that there's much more important than being really decent to people along the way. Being a good person. Totally right. And I, and I, teach PR and that's one of the fundamental things that I always say to my kids right because they're so interested in how do you do media relations and how do you put together communications plans and what do you do with and what do you do with and I always say like the the touchstone is how would you treat a person in any other situation right you you introduce yourself and you share some information and you do what you say you're going to do and you ask them about them and like so it's not complicated it's just being in decent person goes a long way. You know, that's a really good point because I think when people get in that business mindset, they sometimes forget that you're dealing with people, right? Totally. 
and even how you communicate and the kind of language you use in emails becomes different all of a sudden. Oh, for sure. For sure. Actually, um, it's just wrapping up the term. And one of the best compliments I've ever received was a student came to me um, just the other day and said, you see us as human beings and not as students. And that's why we feel empowered to succeed in your class. And I was like, that is then, then, then good. Cause that, that is what you want someone to feel. Right. Um, and so I think that part of it too, right. And, and just as you guys are telling stories of all these different women and their experiences, right. Like being genuine about being interested in somebody, people know that they know if you're putting it on and they know if you're genuinely interested. And when you have that authenticity, I think it goes a long way um, to sustaining long-term business relationships. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's an excellent point. And, and kind of um, into that, you know, a lot of people, and I think women, maybe, I think I can probably say women in particular, the word networking scares people. Mm-hmm. They don't like to do it. I don't like to do it. Mm-hmm. I have to force myself in every situation. And I think it's because I don't feel authentic. So what, what do you think? How do you go about networking? I imagine similar to everything else, mm-hmm. treating people like a person. But how do you kind of break into that? How do you start a conversation with someone that you don't know? It's a great question because I also hate networking. So I feel that pain. I feel I I feel awkward in that setting when you walk into a room and think, oh my goodness, my job here is to like go talk to strangers and convince them that they want to work with me. And I, I, I feel that pain. Um, I spend a lot more of my time one-on-one with people. Um, I do a lot of coffee meetings or a lot of lunches or, um, you know, just because I'm more me in those settings than I am in the more formal stuff. And the more formal stuff is a necessary beast. You know, you got to figure that out. Um, when I was in, when I was graduating from high school, my parents gave me, um, my graduation gift was the Dale Carnegie course. I don't know if you know Dale Carnegie, but it's how to make friends and influence people. And a lot of it is public speaking. Um, and one of the things that was a principle of that course was that if, when you're in those situations, people are just as grateful to have someone to talk to as you are. Right. And so even heading into university, it was a great lesson to carry with me. Right. Cause so much of that was new. So anytime I'm in those situations, I often just kind of try to keep in mind that for all the people that always say, man, I hate doing that. We're all now standing in a room, so we might as well make it easier for one another, right? And once you ask that first question, the rest of it flows. Absolutely. I agree. You're right. I mean, everybody seems to come out, I hate networking. It's very few people that raise their hand and say, I love networking. I can't wait till that next massive event. But, uh, (laughs) you know, I think that's right. Chances are the person you're going up to is standing there because they don't want to go up to someone else, right? So, totally. And those are the like-minded people anyway. Totally. Probably the ones you want to form relationships with. Absolutely. So would you say that that kind of um, comes into your leadership style then and how when you're working on projects and how you're managing, you know, the various people that you're working with? Would you say that your leadership style is one enough? I'm going to be just let you answer it, actually. What do you, what do you kind of leader do you want to be? Are you or do you inspire to be? I think that from a leadership point of view, the people who have worked with me will tell you that I'm, um, one, very collaborative. Um, and I think, I think that's an important thing. One, because I, I've never felt that my one idea out of the gate is the best idea going. 
right? The best solutions take lots of input and lots of thinking and lot. And so I am quite aware that the final best solution usually is a puzzle that all those pieces have come together from different perspectives too, right? I see it from one way, someone else sees it another way. So um, even if I was purely leading a team for selfish reasons, I would want that sort of collaboration. I do, um, the people that I work with matter, right? Like, and, you know, it's cliche, but, you know, you want to um, work to live, not live to work. Absolutely. Right? And I want people to feel that. And I want them to, the business that we work in, often our job is to translate what's happening from a political perspective, an economic perspective, a cultural perspective, into messages and campaigns that resonate with people. And I had a professor uh, when I was doing graphic design who said, you need to go out and experience culture or you're never going to be able to translate it into something that works as a message or a campaign. So go to concerts that maybe you wouldn't necessarily go to. See movies, you know, that are produced in other countries so you can see different perspectives because you have to bring that. If you're really going to be a tremendous consultant who can bring real insight to your clients, you have to experience that, right? And so um, I encourage my teams to do that, but also to have a life outside of work. Because if all you do is work, that's all you can bring me, and that's all we can bring the client. And that's where that relationship falls down. So you're also a mom. So, so you're running your own business. You're raising two kids. Uh, how, what, is, what does that look like to you? Like how, how do you disengage from work to be with your kids? Or what is work-life balance in, in, your, uh, in your mind? It is, a, it is a tough question all of the time. So one, I think, and I didn't come up with this, I read this somewhere, that we put an inordinate amount of pressure on ourselves. Um, that term comes with a lot of pressure, right? That you're, you're going to give equal time to everything in your life and, and it's, you're always going to get that right. And so I think that when I struggle with it, um, part of what I... I often think about it less as input and more as output and outcomes, right? Because there are things in your life that you need to do, but they don't all require the same amount of time, right? So the question to my mind is often, do the people in my life or the things in my life that need something have what they need? And so it takes a bit of the pressure, at least in my mind, off of, did I give an hour to this and an hour to this and an hour to this more? Did everybody get kind of what they need, right? And um, and the other question I often ask myself is, is the team working? And that's both professionally and personal, right? Um, I'm very blessed to be married to a partner who is 100% in on the share of everything that needs to be done. We split it. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's 50% of the time here, 50% right. of the time here. Sometimes he steps up and covers off what needs to be done. Sometimes that's my job. And so to me, if the team is working, then I feel that I have that balance. Mm -hmm. And that balance shifts, and, and I think that's okay. Right? And, Absolutely. And you know, I think I was reminded actually not long ago about, um, what is it, the the 
model for the Special Olympics, right? Where like, if I can't win, can I be brave in the attempt? And I always think about that with work-life balance, right? Like the very least I am, I am constantly on the quest to, to try. Um, and it's not perfect. It'll never be perfect. But I think when you take the expectation of perfect away, suddenly things settle a Mm -hmm. little bit more. And I mean, and, and to that, like you have to love what you do because we spend a lot of time at work as people, right? Like it's, uh, the majority of our life is spent at work. So I, I like how you're saying that, you know, it's not necessarily a 50, 50, you put in where, where it's needed. Mm-hmm. You're there when needed for whether that's work or personal, mm-hmm. because I also think, and I'd be interested in your perspective. Um, I, uh, I, I, I'm away quite a bit, uh, back and forth, um, to Toronto. And the way I see it is I'm, I'm showing my kids what a strong working woman looks like sure. that I am going to work and I understand that there's some times where I can't be there but like you my husband is there when I'm not um so what do you think about that and raising kids and you own your own business I mean I think there's some lessons there for the for your children too about what it looks like to be in a an equal household for sure you know one thing that I will say is that um I am grateful every day for my particular circumstance and there are things that I would not have many things I would not have been able to achieve in my career had it not been for, um, for Dean's support and just being able to step in. And, you know, I, we often joke that for many years he was the reliable parent, right? And, and he made it to pick up when I did not. And when clients have a crisis and I have to be there, you know, into the evening, he was the guy that showed up, right? And, and that is a, a really privileged and wonderful place to live. And that's not everyone's circumstance. And I totally get that. Um, so I, I am grateful every day for that. Um, and grateful for the lessons that that does teach my kids. You know, my mom used to say all the time, you know, you are one of the most seamless teams I know. Right. And what was great is that early on, we just developed routines that if I was home or if Dean was home, bedtime was the exact same routine, right? I, I didn't have someone who was fumbling to like, how do I make crap dinner? Right? Like that wasn't, that was never my worry, right? They got, they got dinner they got a bath, they got stories, they got, and it went the exact same way, regardless of which of us was there. Um, so I think my kids, as much as they love routine, also learn to be a bit adaptable, right? Mm-hmm. That you can feel secure and you can have, you know, a great, um, home life and, you know, feel, um, confident in how things are going at home delivered in different ways by different people. Just takes a little bit of planning. So if you were looking back and, uh, you were all, all of a sudden faced with your 19, 20 year old self, what kind of advice would you, would you give? You know, I often think about that, particularly because I often sit looking across from 19 year old, 20 faces, 20 year old faces and think, you know, what, what do I wish you'd known? Um, I definitely would have told myself to just ease up. Right. Um, and the one thing that I, I didn't know then, and I know so acutely now, and I try to convey to both my kids and my um, my students is that you are so determined to 
pick a path and you're, you're, you so believe that you're in control of how this is all going to go. And when you are 20 years down that road, you're going to look back and realize how it all came together and had nothing to do or very little to do with all of that planning, right? And you, something gets thrown at you and you think, oh my goodness, it's going to be disastrous. It all, it all plays together, right? You end up in a place that works. Um, and I don't necessarily think that we appreciate all of the elements that act on us over that time to get us there. Um, and we think that we have to, we have to know the right path that the moment that we graduate from school, we've got to have that perfect plan and we've got to, you know, and I, I wish I had known that it was going to be okay. Thank you so much for, for welcoming us into your home and giving us coffee and muffins. Uh, it's wonderful. And thank you so much for joining us today. We're really, really thrilled to have you on our podcast. Thank you. Run It Like a Girl is hosted by Bonnie Moak. Brian Long is the producer. Web design and technical assistance provided by Dan Moak. And music courtesy of the talented Brooklyn Gillichuk. On the next episode of Run It Like a Girl, Dr. Hazel Barton has taken two of her life passions and combined them into an extraordinary career. She's a microbiologist focusing on deep subsurface environments. And conveniently, or well-planned, Dr. Barton is also into exploring caves. A lot. She co-starred in the 2001 IMAX film Journey into Amazing Caves and has co-written a children's book based on the film. She and her work have also been featured in several documentaries and television programs. Dr. Hazel Barton on the next episode of Run It Like a Girl.